Welcome to a bonus episode of Stitch Talks-ish, a manga episode. I treated myself to a largely sublime manga haul the other day, and I'd like to share the fruits of all that reading. Every so often, you just have to take a break from the real world and spend some time doing and reading something you love greatly. For me, that's largely boy's love. I don't actually get to read as much BL as I used to, but I cut my teeth on love mode back in the day, and I do keep up with what's being published these days, even if I don't have the time to read it all. I had a rough week a little while ago, and in response, decided to treat myself to some books I'd heard good things about. So, this is a little bonus episode of Stitch Talks-ish, where I do quick sip manga review for the five titles I bought. Please note that I'll be talking about series with sexually explicit content and violence and definite issues of consent at best. Also, spoilers. There will be spoilers. I'll start with the non-sublime title and then move on to the rest. The first book that I bought was the first volume of Miwako Sugiyama's Bite Maker, The King's Omega. This is original male-female Omegaverse published by Seven Seas. So far, there's a lot of potential for this series because it is my actual favorite trope slash world-building setting, Omegaverse. But then I have to negotiate my love of the trope with my annoyance with the high school setting because this is a Jose series for an adult-assumed female audience and has themes to match. But then the characters are high schoolers. In this world, as most fandom approaches to the trope, betas are the most common sub-sex or gender. They can never really settle on what the designations are. Alphas are rare, super beautiful, and super powerful. Then, omegas are basically an endangered sex or gender, and they're the only ones that powerful alphas want slash deserve. Eh. From the jump, it's clear that Bitemaker is going to play the tropes pretty straight, literally. Omegaverse is a bio and gender essentialist semi-dystopia. It's fun for me, but not everyone's cup of tea. So watching the main character, Nobunaga, at like 17 or 18 rant about needing an Omega to fill with his seed is fucking hilarious to me because it's just like I have read worse on purpose in fandom. I've written more direct Omegaverse then noel the secret omega he falls finds and falls for is adorable she's giving me 90s heroine who doesn't know how beautiful she is but also hides her true self behind big glasses and braids in this universe betas are irrationally attracted to alphas and they're susceptible to alpha orders at the start of the book one of nobunaga's beta servants um kisses him without his consent because he's just so overwhelmed by the dude's pheromones and then noelle's friend eo goes into full present for the alpha and offer to carry his baby's mode when she comes hunting for him because she thinks he's her soulmate omegas are affected by the pheromones but they're not subject to alpha orders so nobunaga is able to activate noelle's omega urges but he can't control her I genuinely don't know um, what will come next for this series. The first volume is a little slow compared to other series I've read, and I cannot take Nobunaga's alpha supremacist rant seriously, but 
I do want to see what will happen next. It's giving me the same vibes as Pedro, Pedro Toriyumi's uh, Black Panther in Sweet 16, a high school setting with a slow-to-be compelling cast that winds up in stressful, sexy situations. Um, basically, if you treat this like a CW show where all the teens are played by adults, things will be so much easier for you. <laughs> now, on to the sublime stuff. First, there's Mad K, basically. The title on the cover is an acronym for the full title, Motsu Akuma Todanshi Kokose by Suzuri Ryo. Uh, if you like Iro Guro, which is erotic gore, demons, monster boning, etc., please read this book. I beg of you, read it and then come talk to me about it. Only the first volume is out in English, but it's so worth it. Like, let's get into it. Um, as everyone knows, I really loved Tokyo Ghoul, despite uh, Ishida Sensei's kind of inconsistent art and definitely inconsistent world building. So the summary for the basic summary for Mad K is that this teenager, the Japanese teenager Makoto, has a, a deep desire to eat flesh, and he doesn't want to hurt people or he doesn't want to hurt another human being. So he does research and he summons a demon, the demon Jay, into his world. So, you know, in exchange for his soul and his life, he gets to eat this demon. And so like the first part of the book, the first like 30, 40 pages is the summoning and immediate aftermath with Mako like just going to town on this demon and then he hits a point where um he uh, does the sex with the demon um calling it that kind of minimizes what actually happens on the page but if i were to describe what happens on the page i don't think anyone would continue listening um but i will say that those of you in the know the word thrussy is absolutely apt here. I will not explain in any further detail because it is disturbing, but it is apt. Um, and so after that part of the book is done and Mako essentially is like, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. I've, I've had my fill. I've had my fun. You can do what you want with me. He's killed by the demon Jay and is taken to hell. And there is where we get into the really interesting stuff um, because Jay wants to turn Mako into a demon. Like, it's very interesting um, because you think that Mako is this like sweet, innocent character at first. He's very adorable and you would assume, oh, okay, this kid is absolutely... Um, absolutely going to be eaten alive by demons and every so often you get a glimpse of mako's true self that reminds you who he is and what he's doing you know um there are a couple demons introduced across the series um like younger not younger demons but older demons with um different skill sets essentially right and it's very interesting. There's a um, Fjord, F-J-O-R-D. He's introduced um, alongside Daten Sho, 
these are two demons that Jay has in his employ at a brothel that Mako works at as like a wait staff, basically, to kind of get a bead on what it means to be a demon and what demons are really like. And there's a moment where, like, after the book's second sex scene, which is not as consensual as the first, um, they're having, like, dinner, essentially, or a conversation over dinner. And Mako is sitting there just going through it. Like, he's having the light from Death Note villain serial killer monologue. (laughs) And it is the funniest thing I've ever read. And I just really love this. I love this book a lot. Um, I've been recommending it to people. I bought one of my friends a copy um, instantly. I was like, if you like this uh, for, for Christmas, I'll get you both volumes in print because it is incredibly my thing. Um, I love gore. I've been trying to find really good uh, erotic horror books, especially queer erotic horror. And that's very difficult because most erotic horror in and out of manga is very um, heterosexual, aimed at subjugating women, femmes. It's not fun. So this book, where there's just a significant amount of of violence, that is very well done, that is very beautifully handled, but it's also not like I'm punishing you for being queer, I'm not punishing you for being a woman. In fact, the second kind of uncomfortable sex scene is a reward. It's just not necessarily the reward Mako wanted. <laughs> I really love this series, and I think that it's something that everyone who's into this kind of content or who read Tokyo Ghoul and was like, okay, but when does this get sexy? When does this get sexy? Uh, you just read it. Uh, after that, I read Jealousy Volume 1, which is a prequel to Scarlet Bariko's fourth generation head, Tatsuyuki Oyamato. This story fills in blanks and serve up, serves up some really interesting stories about Rogi Uichi's early life. I think it's a dark and bittersweet story with gorgeous art and an unsettling air across it. Uh, by the time I'd actually picked this up, I'd forgotten that I'd read the follow-up series for Fourth Generation Head, and so I was coming into it kind of cold with lots of gasping across the first volume. Uh, The flashbacks is... Flashbacks are how the story is pretty much told. Flashbacks are interspersed with scenes from the present with an older Uichi, a kid that's clearly the Yakuza dude's daughter, and Hachi, the two-bit scammer they take in. So um, the way that the series is shaping up, it looks like we're going to find out what happened to the mafia dude, the Yakuza dude, that Uichi, as a young man in his 20s in the 80s, um, was kind of obsessed with, like, willing to put himself in serious personal danger over the sky. And we're, I guess we're going to find out what happened to him. And I'm not looking forward to it because I can already tell the dude died. I just can't tell when he died. Um, but um, this series is set seven years. Yeah, six or seven years um, after whatever happened in the past. Um, 
I really like it. Uh, Scarlett Barracuda does really gorgeous bodies, really, really great faces. Like everybody has nice, long, emotive faces. Um, the plot is fascinating. I I love it. I think it would actually be a really good series, like TV series, but no one would give me the money to make it. But it is it is very much that kind of raw disturbing setup kind of like the wire it has big the wire energy and i love it um also uh jealousy is the manga where if you saw on social media um last year i think either last year or early this year where there's a white guy who's clearly in inspired by homeboy who plays Hannibal on the show, Mads Mikkelsen. It's just a single page appearance, but it's incredible and definitely funny. Um, And he does fit the part of a mafia dude, you know. Um, I think I really love this series so far because these are all volume ones I'm going into. So so I could change my mind next next month when i buy the buy some more um but i i really love the series because uichi as a young man is just really weird this is all about like manipulations and anger and trying to find your place in the world and i don't know i just really like it um and so before I go on to review the other two books I read, I do need y'all to know that out of the all of the books I've read in the hall and out of all the characters that I've come across, Makoto from Mad K and the young version of Uichi are my favorites because they're so fucked up. Uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but the, these morally, m- morally murky, manipulative characters who are so hungry to belong, to have something their own, for family, to eat demonic flesh and be eaten in return in Mako's case, are just so lovely to me. They just are. I don't want to be them or even be friends with them, but I want to learn more about what makes them tick. That's what I want the most, and that's what I hope I get from future volumes of both Jealousy and um, Mad K. And then, so, after Jealousy is the first volume of Ranmaru Zaria's Coyote. My friend Sonia actually mentioned that this was kind of Omegaverse adjacent, and obviously, I had to dive in. I do love werewolves to pieces, and this take on werewolves is one that I really liked. Um, off the jump, I'll say that if you enjoyed Gangsta, uh, the manga and anime series, I was like really big on Tumblr like two or three years ago with the potential poly triad that I hope will one day be a thing. You'll probably like this series. It has the same energy, even though the only similarity that they truly have in common is the organized crime aspect, because there are no werewolves in gangsta just like super powered humans um this also kind of has similar energy to the dogs um series i don't remember what the creator's name is but it's the one that also is around organized crime um i don't know i just really like that kind of crime family breaking free from your crime family kind of story um so when i first read it i was i thought this was the most familiar of the series um 
You'll see why I changed my mind in a little bit. But the narrative about persecuted werewolves, Josh, who is the Zex Marquis looking motherfucker uh, in the first part. And the he's the, I guess, top um, going up against his family for love of Coyote. The fuck or die heater scenario. It's all very fandom-y. And I did enjoy that. Um, I don't know. I, I just think this is a very good series. It's so stressful. So you're introduced to Coyote and Josh who call each other by fake names for most of the book of the first volume. Uh, Coyote calls Josh Marlene, like Marlene Dietrich. That's a purpose. It's a reference to that, um, to that actress. And, um, Josh calls Coyote Lily. I don't remember why, but it is said in the book. And it's a ships in the night scenario to an extent with Josh constantly trying to get Coyote to go out with him. Coyote going, no, I can't. And you find out that Coyote is a werewolf at the s- roughly around the same time that that um, Josh understands what that means because Coyote goes into heat. Cody goes into heat and I mean fully finish heat scene um this is another there are brothels in almost every single thing that I have bought actually because the brothel here too there is an intersex sex worker who features in a threesome um named or nicknamed Hermes um I think might be Herma because the they're trying for to just hammer it in that this is an intersex sex worker uh, but yeah i just realized that all of the books that i bought except for bite maker involve sex work and sex workers in some capacity all right cool <laughs> um so after that initial sex scene josh is like no i can't do this anymore like i come back to my place like what now that i've had a taste of you i can't let you go and it's really clear from the beginning of that moment that what the relationship between josh and coyote will be and how it's going to be this back and forth chasing desire chasing this forbidden passion thing and i really loved the experience of of reading it um the art is kind of sketchy at points but then like it's it's a sharp sudden shift so you'll be like oh this is really like really well sketchy and then it gets like detailed um i think my favorite thing would have to be how the sex scenes are very lovingly rendered and the perspectives are not difficult to keep up with either some sex scenes in manga like fight scenes can be tricky to render but Renmaru aces it every time I also loved the language. Thanks to the translator's deft hand, there's one point where Josh tells Coyote, next time I see you, I have something to tell you. It's not something I want others to know, just you. But for now, let me lose myself in the joy I feel over you coming to see me. When I tell you that I swooned. Oh, there are crime and forbidden love aspects to this manga. And again, it's just a sexy and stressful read. I want to see where this goes because this has to play out poorly. Josh is the heir to a werewolf hunting mafia legacy, lost his parents to werewolves. And then Coyote is functionally an Omega 
who falls in love with him and has been charged with hunting him in order to end the clash between their his pack and Josh's mafia family. This this can't end well. And then the final book in my haul is also from Ramaru. It's the first book in her Birds of Shangri-La series. This book is again explicitly about sex workers. It's set in a brothel. I bought it knowing that. I bought it with my fond memories of Love Mode and Hoshi no Yakata in mind, but also the full knowledge that BL, like Romance Landia, occasionally drop kicks the ball when it comes to portraying sex work and sex workers in a way that is satisfying and not dehumanizing. Set in the titular brothel, this story revolves around newbie Apollo, who's supposedly straight, learning the ropes to be a fluffer from Thee, one of the top tier workers in the brothel. And is there a different word from that for that? I've said brothel a bunch of times across this, and it just feels very old fashioned. Um, but like those two series I mentioned, Love Mode and Hoshi no Yakata again, this series is kind of focused on a bunch of rules that will obviously get broken in the pursuit of passion. As a fluffer, Apollo isn't supposed to get his fluffy off, fall in love with his fluffy, or um, go inside them, period. And he get fired for that. And uh, as you find out across the book, there's a reason why Apollo, supposedly straight dude, is at Shangri-La and he does not want to leave. Um, and uh, when I said I would tell you guys that I would take back what I said about Coyote, Birds of Shangri-La is a story type that I've read repeatedly in other manga, and I think that Ranmaru does bring new flavor to the tropes. Uh, like, for one thing, it's made very clear really early on that everyone's there because they want to be, and that they could choose to do anything, but they chose Shangri-La. There's currently no savior narrative, like John's saving sex workers from themselves or the uh, plight of sex work, um, but I'll keep an eye out for it because it is possible right now. Well, it's mostly there is a little bit of like Apollo trying to save Fee from himself, but it's in the context of them both being just ridiculously emotional people, I guess. Um, this is the least unsettling out of the five series I started. It's softer. Uh, more tender or emotional moments as opposed to sexy violence. There is violence here too, to be clear, but so far not between the leads. Um, there is one moment where Fee is going to town on Apollo that's interspersed with flashbacks to Fee's time as a potentially underage sex worker, and that was a bit tough to go through, even though it is super necessary to understanding Fee's character. Um, I think that it's comparable in these moments to slices of banana fish. Um, maybe. Um, where this series does suffer a smidge, like a drop for me, is that Renmaru can do dark skin. Fee is dark skinned, probably my complexion at the lightest, but not black characters. It doesn't drop me out of the book, but the one appearance of a black character in a conversation is not great. Anyway, I actually like this book a lot. It feels fragile. The sex workers at Shangri-La are called birds, but they really feel like butterflies, so slight and easily torn. And Fee 
feels extra fragile. I really just want to see where this all goes because it's just way more self-contained and intimate than I expected it to be. Also, a bonus. I didn't cover it here um, uh, above previously, but I will elsewhere in the future. If you like these sorts of stories, please go read Painter of the Night. It's an ongoing manhwa by Byun Duk, which is being published in English by Legend Comics. Main character Yoon Sung Ho is extremely my type and tie in line with Uichi and Mako, but with more trauma behind him. He's a sadist, um, more so than these two, those previous two were kind of more masochist, but he's a sadist dealing with trauma and he's just really interesting. Um, if you need warnings for the series, let me know. If you need detailed warnings for anything that I've mentioned in this, hit me up. Thanks for listening to my bonus episode and I hope y'all love the books I read and recommended. Everything I've recommended is in progress, so I'll speak about them on social media or on my website in the future just to update y'all on how they're going. Please keep an eye out for that. Thank you so much for listening.